0: Welcome to the For the Church Podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. We're recording here today in the beautiful Spurgeon Library, surrounded by 6,000-plus volumes owned by Charles Spurgeon himself, many of them written in, notations, as well as numerous artifacts from the ministry and life of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, It's a very intellectually vibrant environment. And I have today, as our guest, one of the most intellectually vibrant people that I've ever met. uh, Dean and Sarah, friend and partner in ministry to Midwestern, uh, a great uh, follow on Twitter, and more importantly, lead pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Dean, how are you today, brother?
1: I'm doing well after the best introduction I've ever received. Uh, Well, I'm doing great.
0: (laughs) That's what I was aiming for. I really try to puff you guys up in, in these intros. Um, you know, when you go to speak at conferences, do you sit there with sort of your, your hands intertwined while they're reading your bio to introduce you?
1: No, I sit in the green room and get waited on hand and foot. And don't <laughs> speak anyway. That's usually what, my, <laughs> what I like to do
0: is sit on the front row and pretend like I'm completely, um, um, unpuffed up by it. Like, Oh, just you, you, you have to do <laughs> this. You have to read my accomplishments, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm. I'm just noting for for the mass um, audience who who listens to our podcast that you haven't written any books yet, and, and I just want to know what's your problem.
1: Um, in the process of actually, are you uh, actually? Uh, so oh man. Yeah, yeah. Finally, so, so the, I, I'm. I'm on. My, I'm on my way, uh, and, and right smack in the middle of the process right now. So I'm thankful for that, and uh, I, I. It's one of those things where I'm, I'm sure you dealt with this early. It's like, man, am, am I? Worthy to do that. Like, like yeah. what, what, what topics am I supposed to even write on? And I was given the opportunity and I'm, I'm going full speed. So I'm excited. We're probably about a year out.
0: Well, tell me about it. What are you writing about and who are you uh, writing it for? Uh,
1: it's uh, it's going to be called Preaching to the Choir. Okay. It's going to be a look at how we reach cultural Christianity, which I believe is the most underrated mission field in America. I mean, lots of conversation right now is about reaching urban secular settings. Get that a lot of people in America still think they're Christians, even though they have absolutely no idea who Jesus is. Uh, so, we're going to diagnose the problem, kind of do a profile of what is a cultural nominal Christian, and then kind of transition into a how to of reaching it. Well, there's chapters on reaching mainline Protestants, on reaching Roman Catholics, on reaching the really good person that's your next door neighbor, uh, a lot of stuff on God and country, on Culture and faith, just every—it's really like overview of a manifesto on cultural Christianity and how we're reading them. So I'm excited about it. well very early in the process, but I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. that
0: sounds great. So, so who's publishing that?
1: Uh, that's part of the process right now. Oh, I got <laughs> so, you. I got you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're 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 ready. To, yeah, I just proposed. I have some proposals in um, with an agent. Yeah, uh, all new for me, so it's exciting. So yes, I'll be uh, probably calling you off. Podcast to uh, get more and advice. We're we're we uh, full speed ahead, and move forward, and uh, yeah, everything looks good. So we're just about to finalize and figure all that out.
0: No, that sounds awesome. And now I feel bad. My joke fell flat because I I just <laughs> impressed. You're one of the few megachurch guys who who didn't have a book, and now here you are writing a book. You just fallen in line with the rest of them.
1: Well, I got it early, like a year in promo, so I'll take it. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> that's yeah. right.
0: It's pre publicity. That's what we're doing here. Yeah.
1: Well, and that was free. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about um, City Church. Tell us about the start of it, and um, you know, its you know particular ministry there in Tallahassee.
1: Yeah, well, it's my hometown, and that's a really significant part of the story. Is that I wanted to start a church that I thought would reach my friends, and then hope people would catch the same, I guess, fever and want to reach their friends, and in cultural Christianity. And this live, it's my own story. I came out of a mainline Protestant background where I was at church every Sunday, unless we were sick or out of town. I was at Sunday school. Uh, I was, you know, had my infant baptism. and went through confirmation and everything you do at my mainline Protestant church. And I went to an SBA retreat when I was 13 years old, and I heard the gospel for the first time. And I joke that I'm the only person to ever come to Christ and be angry about it. <laughs> because <laughs> my first thought was, how have I been in church my entire life, and I've never heard this before? Oh, wow. And and I don't ever told me I was a sinner that I needed to trust in Christ. I never heard about the blood of Jesus. I was told I needed to love like Him, to be like Him, Uh, those type of things. Never told that I needed Him. You know, as maybe on a bad day I needed Him if I was scared. I was told, but not uh, for to be my Savior, as my substitute died in my place for my sins. Resurrection talked about on Easter was more symbolic than anything else. Uh, So that fueled me ever since living in the geographical south uh, to not allow that. around and never hear the gospel. So um, Tel is an interesting place because we are only about 10 miles from the Georgia line uh, where, where I grew up, uh, but it's only probably about 30 minutes, 40 minutes from Alabama. Uh, so there's definitely Bible Belt elements, uh, but there's also Florida State University and Florida A&M University, which brings people from all over the rest of the state of Florida, which is not Southern at all, all big urban settings. A figurative ironclad wall around their building where the world's out there and we're all in here, kind of just let to remove ourselves from the culture and have these theology right. uh, in the meantime. Or churches that are great at inviting people, great at engaging, uh, great at loving their neighbor, but once you fight them and they come, they're not going to hear anything. They're going to be my story. They're just going to hear a the of flow. Uh, again, this acceptance of that, thank God, those churches are have but there aren't enough. We said, why can't we be both? Like, why can't we be really serious about the Bible, really serious about theology? very gospel-centered, without apology or disclaimer. And because of that, we want to love our neighbor, be in the world, connect with the law, be a major part of our city's life. And that's really what birthed the church, was a passionate to my hometown, and it has to be that kind of church. So we are uh, started with a bunch of college students, not on purpose, but I was 26, 10 years ago when we started. Uh, <laughs> so we couldn't get any families or older adults to give us the time of day. <laughs> but since then, it has grown into a multi-generational church. It still has a lot of college students, uh, but it's about thirty to forty percent of our church rather than ninety eight when we first yeah. started, so it's been a really neat story yeah oh, that's awesome
0: so you, you started ten years ago um how many are attending today
1: um we uh, have i mean that it's, it's the south so it's football season compared to not and everything else. <laughs> uh, okay thanks for being people honest that was, people <laughs> that would say this what drives me crazy to be honest That's another conversation for another time but I'm sure listeners can relate to that. Uh, people that would say they call City Church their home, uh, well over 3,000. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's great. So you mentioned the college students. I know you have really a unique and effective ministry um, to the college community there. Um, what's something, for those who are interested, I was just in Arkansas um, yesterday um, speaking to a fellow who, who works on a college campus, and is you know expressing um, some desire for the churches in the area to actually want to engage, um, you know, campus ministry to engage college students. He sees you know that as a you know sort of an untapped um, mission field, and he's you know somewhat perplexed by the you know the reluctance uh, of churches to engage on that level. But what's something about college students, young adults, that many churches uh, don't seem to get? Maybe they're interested, but they just quite you know, they don't just quite understand, um, you know, the uniqueness or the particularity of college students. So what's something that you've discovered over the last 10 years, um, effective, ineffective, something that would be surprising maybe?
1: I think it's that when they understand the significance of being part of a local church, that it's a game changer. Wow. So a lot of them that maybe are believers, they come to college (laughs) and their church is their church back home. Yeah which, again, we don't want them to abandon their church back home. Good chance they might go back there and live one day. But college is a time where they don't connect to a local church and they just stay a part of a campus ministry, which is a great We think the Campus ministries are great. we for them. We have a lot of people who are involved in campus ministries that are part of our church. But the campus ministry is not the local church. That's right. So what we've seen happen, to use the old change the game cliche, what really kind of changed the game for us was when we started investing in college students and helping them see the significance of why the local church matters. That Campus Crusade, we think it's great. BCM, that's Campus Ministry, we think it's great. Those are not the local church. And how they were interested in why that mattered. And once it clicked, they wanted to get involved. They wanted to have older people in their lives. They wanted to serve in the church. A lot of students like to serve. I think it's a mindset thing with some churches where they think the investment in college students isn't worth it. Uh, because they're going to be gone one day. Right. Uh, they're going to be here really quick. You know, Four years, two years, of their junior college transfer, whatever it might be. Uh, but we're saying, wow, let's think about this. One, they can be your greatest volunteer base. So I don't know how our ministries and our church would survive without our college students. I mean, they are they are really the hands and feet of so much what we do. And it's one of the best sending bases in the entire world. You have these students coming to you in these formal times in their lives, and they're going to go places. They're going to be doctors and lawyers. And they're going to be teachers in public schools and football coaches. And they might be pastors and church planters and missionaries. And what an investment for all of our churches to make in these students. And then when they graduate, we don't see it as, oh, man, we spent, you know, they, they don't really give very much. They're only here for a few years. Instead, we're going, wow, look what we've been able to do to equip these students to go into the world, to go into the other places in our state, across the Southeast, across the country, and to live their lives as missionaries whatever vocation they have. So I think, one, the mindset change, this is worth our investment because this is the future of the church we're investing and we're spending. And then the, the other part is, if we can get these students to understand why the local church matters and on top of that, create local churches they actually want to be a part of that are worth their time and worth their lives, then you're going to see college students that get it have an impact, not only on their campus, but on your church too.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's really the difference between, you know, what's an immediate payoff to our church versus what's an investment in the kingdom or what, what actually benefits yeah. long-term yeah, I, the move of God.
1: And I think, Yes, yeah, and I think people are finally starting to get that slowly but surely, the sending idea. I mean, you know, J.D. Greer wrote the whole gaining by losing concept. I really appreciated that. I think people are finally starting to get it, that that our goal really is to not just gather people here and what can they do for our church and our physical address in Tallahassee, but what are we sending could be people to be and to do with their lives. And I see that shift happening, and I'm thankful for
0: it. Do you see that shift, um, that mindset, taking place. Um, so my experience in the South, you know, I grew up in the South, um, part of the church culture in the South. I planted a church in, in Nashville, uh, did ministry in the South. Um, but the distinction that I saw, the contrast I saw in having done ministry um, in the Northeast, in New England, and now in the Midwest, is how um, tribal is probably not the word, but in the South, just the sense of every church Looking at its mission field as like market share and seeing each other as competition, do you sense that there's a shift happening there, that churches are more interested in cooperating and collaborating now, that they don't see their own little kingdom as as the end-all be-all?
1: Uh, I hope it's not a Debbie Downer answer, but not yet. No, I hope that wasn't disappointing. <laughs> no, well, I mean, honesty
0: is always the best is always the best route to take, even if it has to challenge <laughs> or criticize us. Okay, so not yet. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, because I think we kind of had these sort of false ideas of what togetherness looks like. We think togetherness means the monthly pastors' lunch,
0: yeah. And
1: if you go to that, if you go to that, you're on the theme. and you're kingdom minded. If you don't go to that, you're like the mega guy. Doesn't care, you know, right, <laughs> and right, and that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I think it's I think, and I I try to put myself in. Um, I don't mean to sound pretentious at all, but I try to put myself in the you know in the shoes of maybe a. A, a smaller church pastor in our city, and in, in our church for Tallahassee is very large. Tallahassee's not a huge city, uh, not not a lot of, of large churches. So what would be considered medium-sized in some cities would probably be considered, you know, very large here. I see. And um, so I, I try to think about what so the business reality is a lot of large churches. It's easy for a large church pastor to say things like, we're not competition, we're all on the same team. And pastor might go, Yes, yeah, says the guy whose entire church has been built on people leaving their churches to go to his
0: <laughs> Right, right.
1: Yeah, right. I mean that and that's just kind of the dirty little secret in a lot of in a lot of mega church world. It's not these these churches are amazing or they're but like, they killing it. But they are just typed really good kids ministries and really good youth ministries and a a good communicator who's funny and people like and so they all eventually come to come to their church. And the point to baptism numbers, but the other reality that we're talking about is much of those baptisms are people who've been Christians for a really long time. Yeah, they just were sprinkled as babies in their Presbyterian church or their Anglican church or those types of things. So, uh, so I, it's not happening yet, but I, I want to like, I, I get it why it's hard for some uh, because they don't see it as a sending capacity. They see it as a way they used to go here, now they go a mile down the road. We didn't send anybody anywhere. They left. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. I, I get how that can be a thing, but at the same time that's not an excuse. we got to combat that uh, in terms of in our own heart because it, it, it's the same for a larger church. People leave your church to other places too. So the consumer culture we've created is what has created this It, 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 I wish it was happening in Atlanta instead of in Tallahassee. We just really have to, I, I just think there's so much repentance about how we view other churches in our own city. I mean, we are great at loving and supporting churches across the country, but but unless there's like a tragedy or something like that, or a natural disaster, we're not really great at supporting other churches in our town. I don't activity. I it's a mindset and a vocal approach to how we view other churches.
0: Yeah. Well, so you touched on something there in, in in your answer that I want to circle back around to um, the concept of people growing their church through transfer growth and that sort of thing. I have found it interesting over the last several years. So I sort of cut my ministry teeth in the seeker church movement, where you know all the emphasis was on reaching the unchurched, and and that was sort of the label, you know, unchurched Harry and Mary and that sort of thing. And then we started hearing these terms like um you know the the dechurched and the re-churched and all that sort of thing and i think th- that terminology came about when people began to discover that they weren't actually reaching the unchurched they were reaching people who had a church background they had recently changed churches or they were in church a while back and were somewhat disillusioned and had left and now we're, were starting to return um i know that city church reaches um you know actually reaches unchurched people and so I want to ask you what have you found is the most effective in getting lost people uh, to church? Because I think I've heard you answer this question before, and 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 I think it would be helpful for our listeners to hear it as
1: yeah. well. Yeah, I I love talking about that. It's really one of my passions, and and I and I don't think all transfer growth is bad.
0: Right. Oh yeah. yeah
1: if you're leaving, if, if you're leaving your church, I think we've this. If you're leaving your church for theological reasons, that's a good reason to go. Or even the underrated part is for missional reasons. And that leads to my answer. If you're going to a church where you're going, yeah, they believe the Bible, yeah, they preach Christ, but I would never bring my friend here because it's just awkward. They don't care about guests. Uh, It's very insider-focused. It's all insider language. I wouldn't bring my friend here. Like I want to be a part of a local church where I'm dying to bring my lost friend if you to come with me. And not that we think that's the end-all of end but We do think that's part of the process and a helpful part in the gospel conversation. So I believe that unchurched people, unbelievers uh, even more than that, uh, I believe they only come to church because they're invited by someone who's invested in their life. There's exceptions to that, but very few exceptions.
0: Yeah, uh, so, they're,
1: they're not going to go to your church because your band is awesome. Why would they care about that if they're out <laughs> of believers? Right. Like, 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 I, I, I've never in my life heard an unbeliever say, wow, they have electric guitars and they rock? Man, I want to go this Sunday. Like, what <laughs> unbeliever says that?
0: Now, well, what about... Young, what about the coffee shop now, Dee? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. It's like, your coffee's not even that good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that's important. If you're going to have coffee, make sure it's good. Okay. But, uh, so, yeah, I, I really think, and I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I do think it's that simple. Now, it's not that simple to invest in someone for the long haul. That's where the real work happens. But I I, I really think it's sad about the churches. I, I feel bad for them that the pastor and the team really think, if we just changed our you know, style of then it would reach people. It's like, no, no, no. you got to change your mindset. Mm-hmm. And you have to change your approach, not your style. And that they're, all, just, they're their folks are really trying, and they're trying to go to lunch with their coworkers, and they're trying to be in their lives, and they're coaching Little League Baseball, and they're doing these kind of things. And for you to finally say, hey, will you come to church with me? That's a bigger deal than us pastors realize that are oftentimes removed from the real life of what's going on with our people and that's their right. relationships. Like that's, that's a right. big step for somebody, and you're setting yourself up to get, you know, to get rejected. All things we just don't get sometimes as pastors. So if I'm gonna, if I'm a church member, not a, not on staff, but I'm a church member, and I'm gonna invite my friend to come to church with me. That's a big deal. So we have to make sure that we're creating churches so that people actually want to bring their friends to. So I hear guys say, you know, creating churches that unchurched people want to attend, those don't exist. <laughs> but those, <laughs> those are made-up things. Gotcha. And the reality is they used to go to another church and they stopped going up, it it's mm-hmm. terrible and now they go here.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so that, that's not creating a church, an unchurched person wants to attend. Let's create churches your own regenerate Jesus-following church members on mission want to bring their friends to. Yeah. That's how I approach and how we approach our church and how we function. That's excellent.
0: Well, let's not undersell coffee and so for a second here. Let's take a coffee break and hear from Sounds our <laughs> let's hear from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern College is preparing and equipping the leaders of today and tomorrow. Our students continue to be agents of change both in the United States and around the world. The unique community environment at Midwestern College fosters spiritual, personal, and academic growth as students deepen their understanding of the Word of God and the world He created. With our dual degree option, students can get grounded in the truth while getting ready for the marketplace. Our Accelerate program allows students to pursue both their Bachelor of Arts and their Master of Divinity simultaneously in one intensive five-year program. Midwestern College, both residential and online degrees available. Midwestern is the sensible option for preparing and equipping the leaders of today and tomorrow. Find out more at midwesterncollege.com. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest-growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging Word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu mdiv today. All right, welcome back. We're speaking with Dean and Sarah, lead pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, um, Dean, we were just talking about bringing lost folks um, to church. Um, I sure. like to give you a hard time. I call you my attractional friend. Um, the, you know, the most, okay. the Wait, most attractive, attractive well, friend? No, no, not attractive. I did not say that. Uh, okay. I would not call you that uh, for sure. Okay. Uh, but probably my most gospel-centered attractional friend or my most attractional gospel-centered friend. Um, let, me, let me ask you this, just to make it serious. How does a church know, right, because— to be gospel-centered and to sort of reject the attractional paradigm, sometimes the criticism of that is that you know you think or people assume or accuse you uh, or accuse me of promoting a lack of excellence or um, you know you know outdated music styles or whatever it is, trying to to not be attractive. In other words, to make sure that the gospel um, you know is the is the main feature, um, which is not the case at all. But how would you know? In, in pursuing excellence, whether it's in, you know, sort of the production, the aesthetics, uh, the music, stage sets, whatever it is, how would you know um, when the excellence a church is pursuing is adorning the gospel rather than obscuring it?
1: Well, I think we can make sure that we are, are really clear in how we distinguish between what is scriptural and what is cultural. Yeah. So well, one thing that gets me a little, a little chippy sometimes is when Someone will call a guitar solo in a worship service showy, but a 300-person, but a 300-person choir that rehearsed for two weeks with an orchestra on, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, amazing tenor who's gonna you know blow the roof off with his uh, version of the Midnight Cry or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that. I don't even and know what that beautiful. is, but it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a. That's a beautiful expression of worship. Oh, okay. It's like, wait a second here. How are those things different? And so, what I tell folks is that that it's a it's a heart issue before it's a product issue, in terms of something being showy, right? Like, what are people really about? What's the point? So, we just have to make sure that that our theology is what drives the church. And that our music and what our stage looks like, that those are just environment type of things. And every single church has an environment and has an attraction, whether well, they realize it or not. Uh, some people they're attracted to, they want a choir because they want a traditional style of service. Some are attracted to a liturgy. I mean, liturgies are, are, are extra biblical, right? They're man-made, and then that's okay. It makes them scripturally neutral. Of course, they read scripture and those type of things, but liturgies are created by man. Is some people are attracted to someone who spends forty-five minutes preaching on one word, one word from one verse. (laughs) They're attracted to they're attracted to that. And so, uh, people have their things they like, and we just have to acknowledge that. And that's not always bad, as long as we're not banking on those things to be what builds our church. As long as we uh, realize that those things were taken away from us tomorrow, that we'd still be fine. I, I think we could change our style of how we do church in terms of on Sundays, we do our services. I think we change up our style and approach, and I could change how I dress, we could do all that tomorrow, and I don't think anything would change. Hmm. And, and I'm not something I'm, not, I'm being naive in that. I mean I think that we our church has been built on our theology, it's been built on what we believe to be true about God's mission in our city. And the things we do that are excellent, again, they're they're more to have our own I mean, we don't we miss we swing and miss all the time on our pursuit of excellence. Well we do believe it's God for God's glory. I know some guys he, earlier about bringing about unchurched people coming to church is that we want our own folks to practice or are to be assured i should say of what we call the double promise And the double promise is not something we promote or say out loud it's a value we have from our leadership and it looks like this the double promise is we promise you if you're finally going to invite your friend from work or from the neighborhood or There, hey, just so you know, there's this lady who sings and she's terrible. Uh just so you know, just, just so you know it's music's really awkward, you know, you know, just, just just but hey, but it's but they have good hearts, it's okay. You know, just so you know, there's these really weird transitions in between songs, and it's awkward silence. You know, all those disclaimers. We don't want our folks to do any of them. And then on the way home, we don't want any apologies. Oh my word, I am so sorry. I know you're an introverted. We have never made someone stand up and say their name before who was new. I am so <laughs> Yeah, so, but none of those, like, those kind of things, we don't bank on any of those kind of things. We bank on the fact that our folks are on mission because of the gospel they believe, and that's really the center of what we do. So, just, I just said, people who are listening, be careful that you don't declare attractional based on simply, I guess, the elements of the service. Right. Because we rock and roll, and we have great streams and life. We take the Lord's Supper every single week. Yeah, and we preach the books of the Bible, and we call sin sin, and we uphold the name of Christ. And so, yeah, I just hope you will be careful uh, on the labels that not all churches that rock it out and that are young are the same. Yeah,
0: well, I I would say any any pastor that uses the phrase "rock it out" can't be too attractional, anyway.
1: There you go. Know, that was pretty cheesy. It's such a dorky phrase. So. <laughs> I know. we getting
0: hashtag rock and worship. <laughs>
1: oh man. <laughs>
0: That was brutal. <laughs> so, I mean, do you at least turn the fog machine off during communion?
1: Um, oh, of course not. you got to okay. have the fog. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we have fog, yes. I okay. think so. I need okay. to check on that. You I think can. so?
0: Yeah, you don't want to have an apology on the way home about the fog during, the, during communion.
1: during I got my
0: eyes. So you just mentioned you know, the preaching on sin. Um, you also mentioned reaching unchurched young people. Um, let me ask you this. How can a church that holds traditional stances like yours does on things like homosexuality, gender, um, et cetera, actually reach young lost people in the 21st century?
1: Yeah, well, you can't just hold to it. You have to talk about it, too. And and that's been troubling to me is how many brothers I know that hold strongly to these truths but are silent about it. It really is troubling to me. Other first step is to realize people are going to leave your church over this. It is going to happen. We have had people leave our church, especially young people over this issue. Like, these sexuality, gender, uh, issues, marriage issues are the wedge right now between this generation and the scripture. Now, in seminaries We like to go, oh, this generation, we're so hopeful. And by that, we mean guys going into ministry. We're not talking about the regular person who's 24 years old who is really struggling with this issue, and it's not because they have Bible leaders, They've been all works towards the bible because they were old enough to understand what it was and they lived for christ off through high school stood for the truth and now they're 24 25 26 they have gay friends they have gay family members they have they've they watched stories of transgender people on tv who are crying who are suicidal who are all these things they take really seriously and their emotions are are which the day i i think it was rabbi zacharias who asked the question how, how do you It really does go back to relationships. be. And a lot of the the, uh, morale walking out of the room and and after the national statement was written uh, was that this is a compassionate doctrine that's clear on truth and also gives hope in Christ. It doesn't matter to the world. This is the first time ever where love is being dictated for us with that word. We can think we're being loved and think we're being compassionate but unless we fully affirm the world's not going to think that. They're going to think, well you condemn me, you judge me, uh, you don't accept me for who I am. And my response to that is, let's maintain our truth. Let's keep talking about it. At the same time, let's prove them wrong. Let, let's just love them anyway. It, it's never gonna be loving enough. Let's love them anyway. So once I realized, this is for two years ago, I realized I said it's never gonna be loving enough. It's never gonna sound compassionate enough. It's never gonna be delicate enough. And I just realized that I'm just gonna see those things anyway when it comes to those issues. And so proclaim the truth because I believe I really do love my neighbor that I'm going to be honest with them about their sins that leads to death, as the scripture says. And, and, and I'm going to hold Christ for them. So again, I, I, I just want so quickly to know that, like, it's never going to be loving enough, ever, until that relationship is really there, and they really know you're not going anywhere, and you really do care, and you care enough to affect them. And, and that's just the reality. People are going to leave their church over this issue. Like it is, If, if not, you're not talking about it. Like, it's going to happen at the same time. People are going to listen as well and it's going to hopefully have the Lord change their minds and open their hearts and to see and understand the Scriptures. And
0: that's, that's my hope. For yeah, it's a strong word. Yeah. Um, all right, so final question here. Looking forward, we, we, we've shared, um, you know, a few sort of critical remarks. Um, looking forward, what do you see in evangelicalism that encourages you? What's something that actually sort of stirs your hope about the future?
1: You know I, I I see pastors and leaders who are legit. I mean, guys who are just who are serious about the Bible, and that's a really big deal. I uh, got guys who are just not not compromised. And I'm seeing women's leaders raise rise up who are serious about the Bible, who are serious about theology. And I think in this ever increasing hostile world that we need ministry leaders and that then translates into lay people, to elders, to deacons and then lay people. Who are really serious about the bible who who stand on it who know it who are unashamed of it i'm seeing that more than ever right now like i've really seen it and it's easy to not see that because everything else going on around us that is so secular and anti and and churches that have just abandoned truth for just for wanting to be loved by the world that's that's the the real reason i think that happens uh and i'm seeing a whole group i don't want to call it a remnant because i think it's even more than that uh but that are that are standing on the scriptures and that's a big So I think those, you know, I'm not a Southern Baptist, but I think those, some of the conservative resurgence uh, that, that laid it all on the line, I, I think they you know, they might have a couple of things with us that they don't like or they disagree with. But I think that if you get them in a room and sit them down, I think they've got to really encouraged by that like i'm i'm not meeting church planters and 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 who who are are anything but legit when it comes to what they believe and i'm just really really pumped by that so really shout out to you guys what's going on midwestern what's going on southern what's going on southeastern i'm just so encouraged by that stuff like we are turning out legit dudes. so the next step is going to be are we going to take what we love and know about the bible and theology into the Mm -hmm. world that's what i want to teach. So there's a discouraging thing. I still think we're not connected to the world enough. Gotcha. But in order, in order to do that, we have got to be equipped. So I love the fact we're being equipped. I mean, I'm pumped about what we believe. And what guys are holding to. Now I want to see guys take it to the world and do what we call the "so what" factor. Okay, we, we, we this is true. So what? Now do we do what we do with it? We go to our friends. Go to our neighbor. We follow Jesus into the world. So that's kind of where I'm at in my mind. That I'm encouraged. I'm I'm no, that's
0: great. I, I'm as well. I, I believe. Um, and and obviously my you know, experiences, you know, is somewhat, I I guess, isolated or anecdotal. But just in traveling around as well, not just from my vantage point at the seminary, um, I believe this generation of leaders, and if it's true that as go the leaders, so goes the church, um, I'm really encouraged because I believe this generation of leaders is so much further ahead than my generation, as an example, was just in terms of, as you said, their mindset, where their head's at in relation to the local church, Um, to the scriptures, they seem to see through, you know, sort of the razzle-dazzle in a way that my generation did not. Um, And then the corrective that they have for it seems um, more biblical, more circumspect than my generation's corrective for it. Um, Okay, um, before we end the podcast, I I just have to offer one rebuke to you that I I, want to do publicly um, in, in the midst of many witnesses. And I feel like I need to say this to you, Dean. Your your panic when our our mutually beloved New England Patriots struggle um, is really discouraging. I don't know why you panic every time they lose a game or or, or something like that. Can you explain yourself?
1: Um, because I believe the defense is in defenses and disarray, <laughs> and I am uh, unable to mentally handle that reality. <laughs> but
0: brother, we've been here before, you know. Um I,
1: know, <laughs> I feel bad. like you have
0: short <laughs> short-term patriot's memory, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. So I do. I just I, j-
1: I feel like you're not I feel like you're not there for me. <laughs> <person>. <laughs>
0: Brother, I'm like. out ministering to the people. I I don't know what you're doing, but uh, <laughs> oh, <there it> is. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, I just feel like uh you know, we've been here before. Trust the hoodie, you know what I mean? It's uh
1: you- Trust the hoodie and trust That's the great right. one. That's right.
0: Well, speaking of the great one, Dean and Sarah, thank you so much, brother. It's always a pleasure <laughs> to speak hey, with you. Thank you. you. Um, Thanks keep, for having me. Keep being yeah, for the church. Yeah, we love you guys out there. We've been speaking with Dean and Sarah, pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, and author of Zero Books, although I've heard that he's working on a book, so we, we're looking forward to that. Um, until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast. Hosted by Jared Wilson, Managing Editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.